Welcome to this week's Point Community Church Sunday Sermon. If you'd like to learn more about the Point Community Church, please visit our website at tpcc.org.au. What I hope you guys are going to get out of this talk today is that there is actually a confidence that you can all have in this book that God has preserved for us throughout history. Uh, And that even though the words of this book do declare us all as sinners, and there's not a great deal that we can do to change that, that's no reason to ignore sin, and that is no reason to continue on in sin. In light of that, though, uh, I hope that you will see that our God is an awesome God, a God who knew before the beginning of time that you and I would be sinners, And he has ensured a way for us to get out of that sinfulness. And to jump right into chapter 3 today, without giving you guys a bit of context, a bit of a reminder where Phil was last week in chapter 2, is going to do a disservice to Paul's case here that he's building throughout the early chapters. Because you see, in these early chapters, Paul has built a case against the Gentiles in Rome, living in their sin. But also, he's building a case to those in Rome who are Jewish and who say they follow the law and who tell people not to steal and who preach against adultery. Yet all the while, these Jews are doing the exact same thing. You hypocrites is the case that Paul is building against the Jews. He says to them, even though you say you follow the law, and even more than that, you claim, well, look down here, I have the mark of Abraham, I am a Jew, you act nothing of the sort. You see, Paul says it's one thing to look the part, it's another thing to actually live out the life, live out the substance and live out the meaning of what your circumcision stands for. That is the argument that Paul is building throughout the later part of chapter 2. And as we heard, or as I said, this letter is being heard by both Jew and Gentile in Rome. And so with this argument being built against the Jews, it's going to be understandable that from the Gentile camp right now, there's going to be some sus side-eyes going on to the Jews and thinking, who do these guys just think that they are? High and mighty with their laws and their preaching and telling us what to do. And so it is with this question in mind that chapter 3 opens and the following seven verses flow on where Paul will provide quite the answer to this question. So let's start with chapter 3, verse 1. Read with me, grab your Bibles out, have them in your hand, we'll be working through the passage. Chapter 3, verse 1 says, Then what advantage has the Jew? Or what is the value of circumcision? The assumed answer after everything that Paul has said leading up to this point is none. There is no advantage. But that is not where Paul is headed. You see, Paul is leaving no stone unturned as he lays out God's grand plan from creation until Jesus, for the Roman community, just how we know what God's will is in salvation history. And so, from verse 2 onwards, we get Paul's slightly longer answer. So verse 2 reads, Much in every way, 
To begin with, the Jews were entrusted with the oracles of God. The Jews were entrusted with the very words of God, the book that you've hopefully got in your hot little hands. It is the Jews that we have to thank for that book. But in verse 3, Paul continues, what if some were unfaithful? Does their faithlessness nullify the faithfulness of God? Can God's word only be accurate if it was carried throughout history with only the purest of hands? By no means, Paul declares in verse 4. Let God be true, though everyone were a liar. You see, something Paul knows very well, given that he is a retired Christian-killing homicidal maniac, is that our God consistently works through broken, sinful, and hopeless people to reveal his glory to us. You may have never even considered this, but God has actually purposely had his scriptures written down by sinful people. He has intentionally used individual personalities to craft his scriptures the exact way he wants them to be. Isaiah and Hosea, for instance, Old Testament prophets, they could not have delivered the exact same message. Neither could Solomon have written the exact same emotionally charged psalms as David. Our youth recently at Pointy J Camp learned that there was no other hopeless, depraved, sinful prophet quite like Jonah that could have made such a perfect display of God's grace. See, it is the broken, the hopeless, and yet ultimately the God-ordained personalities of these Jewish writers that throughout history God has used to give us this word. All the while, those Jews were deserving of judgment just like everyone else. In fact, let me paint a picture for you. Close your eyes if you like and take it in. You're standing right now inside an old cathedral. And the lights are out, but you look up at the stained glass windows and they are bathing you in colour. Not only can you see the pictures, but you can feel their warmth on your skin. While you stand there in that dark, empty space, taking in those intricately crafted windows, displaying pictures, images, stories and alike with those beautiful colours all mixing together, you know that there is something behind them that's bringing them to life, that's illuminating them, that is being intentionally diffused. And this, of course, are glorious rays of warm sunshine. You can see how each individual and unique piece of glass is capturing that sunshine now that it has been perfectly placed by its master craftsman, each different in its own way, and each being used to capture the sunshine and reveal that amazing picture that is what the craftsman wanted you to see. You go outside, however, and you stare directly up at the sunshine and you'll burn out your retinas. God, in the exact same way, has individually chosen and uniquely placed the Jews, right down to each prophet in their own individual way, each with their own stained personality, yet all perfectly placed by the Creator 
to capture his glory and his story and to diffuse it for us. That stained glass window effect of the Jews, perfectly dispersing the glory and the story of God, it allows us to have this book so that we might understand more and more of God's character every day. It is a character and a glory that in no way we as sinful people could have ever been able to approach by ourselves. It's just like staring straight up at the sun. It just could not be done. We need to have something in between. And so Paul's point for his Gentile audience in all of this, now with them looking at the Jews a little bit sus, thinking, who do these guys think they are? He's saying to them, do you know how humanity learns how we get saved? It is through the Jews. It is through that foolish, sinful, unrepentant nation that keeps getting everything wrong. It is because of them that you, you foolish, sinful, unrepentant nation that keeps getting everything wrong. You now know, because of them, that salvation is available for you. And that is a pretty tight argument. And Paul could wrap it up right there. But that is not where Paul stops. That's not enough for Paul. You see, I believe that Paul has probably had this argument a few times before. And he knows exactly what kind of gospel opposition is lying just around the corner. And so he continues in verse 5. Read along with me. He says, But if our unrighteousness serves to show the righteousness of God, what shall we say? That God is unrighteous to inflict wrath on us? I speak in a human way. It's a bit of a tongue twister, but this is what Paul means. He's saying, if the Jews are sinners who give us this book, the Bible, which shows us that we ourselves are sinners... Could that not make God unjust to punish us for something we would not have even known to begin with, had not God written down the laws to begin with? Verse 6, by no means. For then how could God judge the world? How, I ask you, and how Paul asks you, And in whose universe could the whole world not come under judgment if you yourself were not under that same judgment? I'll tell you in whose universe. It's your universe or it's my universe. It's the one that we make for ourselves where we forget that we are the creation and not the creator. And so if we think about it and if we think we want people like Hitler judged, We need to get on board with God's righteous judgment. And if you want someone like the murderer judge, you will need to get on board with God's righteous judgment. If you want the rapist judged, you will need to get on board with God's righteous judgment. And if you want the guy that drives 80 kilometers down the Cat-Eye Strait instead of 100 holding up a line of traffic judged, you will need to get on board with God's righteous judgment. But while you get on board, Paul continues, don't you dare think that sinning all the time becomes okay just because you've realized that you're now saved. 
You see, Paul knew there was a danger here in glorifying the Jews and holding them up on a pedestal and saying, these are God's great masterpiece of revelatory insight. And so he continues in verse 7 and 8, and it can be summed up by this little phrase that I'm sure a few of you have heard before, and it comes out a lot later in Romans 6 again. The phrase being, but if my sin abounds, won't grace then abound more? Would I not be doing God a service then by sinning more so his grace could grow more? And then just like the sinning Jews, maybe I could also be used as a piece of revelatory insight for God's grace. Amen? No, not amen at all. That's heresy. And that's one that had its roots in ancient culture. And it's one that still has far too many roots in culture today. Sinning more so that grace may abound more, is not what God wants from us. The thing that God wants most from us, which is repeated again and again through Scripture, is relationship. Assuming that you can just keep on sinning because you're saved, and God will just happily keep on going on saving you, is anti that relationship. It's anti the covenant, which these exact scriptures reveal, and it is an abuse of the shedding of Christ's blood that has allowed us to be in that relationship to begin with. God's righteousness has never found itself on a greater display because we as sinners have increased our sin. God's righteousness has always been on its greatest display through his desire to come into a relationship with his creation. And it is only by his grace that that happens, and it is only by through one means, a repentant heart. This is one of the reasons that Paul quotes Psalm 51 at the end of verse 4, And it is in this psalm that David declares, God, you don't want sacrifices. You don't want stinking burnt cows. You don't want grain offerings and you don't want wine offerings because that is not a relationship. That's a religion. David's perception of God, right back in the Old Testament, is what the Romans' perception of God needed to be. And it's what our perception of God needs to be. And this is the point that Paul is driving home. God wants your heart. Give it to him. Yes, God will work through sinners. And praise be to God for that. But that is no excuse to keep on sinning. Because as verse 8 tells us, all sinners' condemnation is just and we all fall short of the glory of God. So, praise be to the Jews, for who much in every way God has used to reveal to us that the problem that the Jews had is the sin problem that the Romans had, which is the sin problem that we have. And praise be to the written law, the Bible, our scriptures, so that we can know how to deal with this sin problem and come to be in a right relationship with God. To be seen as blameless in the sight of God's righteous judgment. 
And that is because of the revelation of God's righteous gospel. Jesus, where every knee shall bow and every tongue confess to the glory of God the Father. But maybe you are new here today, or maybe you're checking out the point for the first time, maybe even checking out Christianity for the first time. Or you could have even still been here for a while and just working out the difference between what practicing a religion and what practicing a relationship looks like. Please pick up a Bible and read it. Take one home from the welcome desk. It's yours. We want you to have one and be checking out God's Word. But maybe here today you're one of our regulars. You know you're a part of God's family. Do you find yourself lured and enticed by temptation, allowing it to become fully grown into sin, presuming presuming upon grace to reconcile you once again, for stumbling once again, as if that was God's righteous purpose for giving you that grace to begin with? Because that is not God's purpose for grace. Grace exists so that we might be joyously driven towards relationship with God, not towards sin. And yet, here we are, still sinful. None of us will ever be sin-free until we are fully reunited with Christ. And this is why we must always always fix our eyes on the cross, never upon any works or signs or anything that we can do ourselves, because we are hopeless without Christ in the face of our sin problem. So today, this week, soon, get yourself into a relationship with Jesus. Give your heart to him so that you may begin being renewed and made ready for that brand new life to be lived in honour and praise of him forever. Amen. I'm going to invite the band up here now, but I will pray for us while they come up. Uh, Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that we do have this privilege of holding your word in our hands and we can see your story being unfolded throughout history leading right up to your son, that ultimate moment where he took all of our sins on the cross for us so that we might be shown to you as blameless in your sight. Uh, We pray as we go out into the next week that uh, we will be convicted by our sin and it won't be something that we continue on with, uh, but we confess and we repent to you. We pray all these things in your name. Amen. Thanks for listening. Tune in next week for our latest sermon, or better yet, join us live at 9.30 or 5 p.m. Sunday. You can find all the details on our website at tpcc.org.au.